everybody, and welcome to Volume 4, Issue 158 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. You can play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 4, and after a couple of weeks for a Christmas and New Year break, uh, I know you'll probably be listening to this during that time, but we'll be back soon with Silent Hill 3 continuing our Silent Hill series, then it's Spelunky. After that, we return to Castle Wolfenstein. Following that, it's been a long, long time since we've spoken about any Assassin's Creed, but we're going to cover Assassin's Creed 3. We're always a few years behind. And after that, it's Silent Hill 4, The Room, and there's a connection with that game and our game today, but we'll come to that. You can head to canarince.com for the full schedule, the blog, links to our merchandise stall, help yourself to a New Year present of a t-shirt or something. Why don't you? Uh, Facebook page, Google Plus, and YouTube channels. And we also have a sister podcast now, Sound of Play. We're up to uh, five of those. Uh, by the time you hear this, we should be. Uh, and that is a podcast dedicated to our love of video game music specifically. Please subscribe, rate, and review both this, Kane and Rinse, and Sound of Play on iTunes. Thank you for your attention. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Carl Moon. Hey, guys. And special guest returning, Sega expert, although apparently not such an expert on this game, but enough to be here, and that's what we care about, Dan Clark. Hey, pleased to be back. Very pleased to have you back. We're going to start, unusually, with, uh, with something from the forum from one of our uh, community members who is looking for us to uh, inspire him to play this game. Alex79UK says... Of Nights into Dreams. Being a jobless student around the time of their release, there was no way I could afford both a PlayStation and a Saturn, so I went for the Sony powerhouse and never really regretted it. It wasn't until much later, around 2004, that I started collecting old systems I'd missed at the time and tried to scoop up a few of the old classics. I got a Saturn from eBay. I forget what I paid for it, but it came with an amazing collection of games, including Nights into Dreams and Christmas Nights. This was probably the game in the package I was most excited about playing. I remember putting the disc in the console and being enthralled by the colours, the ideas, the carnival atmosphere of it all. It wasn't really like anything else I'd ever played. And then, because there's always something, I heard about the analogue controller for Saturn. An analogue controller, I decided, was absolutely essential for playing Knights with, and there was absolutely no point trying to continue the game without it. I scoured eBay, but they were all a couple of quid too pricey, or I just missed out on a bid by seconds and ultimately never owned one of these elusive contraptions. Knights kind of lay forgotten about in my pile of shame for some time, until tragically a couple of years later, when especially hard up one Christmas, I sold almost my entire collection of old games and consoles to buy presents. Paper Mario, Chrono Trigger, Panzer Dragoon Saga, and my Saturn with Knights, all gone in a matter of days. Much as I regret it now, it was necessary at the time, and I was really excited to hear about the current-gen remake when they announced it. I actually purchased it on the PS3, and there it remains, on my hard drive. Opened once and played for about five minutes. I'm really hoping that listening to this episode of the podcast will inspire me to return to what is clearly a much-loved gem of old. Come on, Kane and Rince, I'm counting on you. So no pressure then. Um, but obviously we do, uh, we do often get very gratifying feedback on the forum, on Twitter, and elsewhere, uh, from people saying that they've been inspired to uh, to dive back into a game or seek out a game for the first time. So it'll be interesting um, if we can do that with this. If we all like it enough to uh, to espouse its merits, anyway, who knows? Maybe we all hated the game. Seems unlikely, doesn't it? Uh, let's start with uh, our histories. The uh, the game first came out 
in Japan, of course, in the summer of 96. And uh, we're all here, uh, English people. And in Europe, we had to wait until October 1996. Now, Dan, uh, I put you first because you're the guest and also because I suspected you were a day one adopter. But it turns out I've learned more recently that that is not the case. Very much not the case. I, I was really excited about the game uh, from all the previews in uh, Meme Machines and uh, and Computer and Video Games and, and Edge, just like any of the magazines from the time. Um, they made it sound sort of so exciting. Um, it just sounded very odd. Do you know what I mean? It, they made it sound groundbreaking, even though it didn't really look like it would be. But there was just sort of some um, quote, I don't know, Sega magic to it. Um, mm. But um, similar to when I uh, read that forum post, I thought, hang on, did I write that? It's a very similar story to myself. That um, mm. at the time I was, I was a young man working in a pub. I couldn't afford even a new console when this was out. I was still playing Mega Drive at the time. Um, I didn't get a new console until sort of late '97, so I got to nights very late, and that was a PlayStation. So I didn't get a Saturn until '99 uh, with a again with a collection of games like like um, like our friend Alex did, um, and then. Again, I couldn't find an analog controller because by that point, they'd all been snapped up or were, as he says, very expensive on eBay. Um, so to my shame, I've only played this with uh, the digital controller until the more recent releases. Mm. Um, also, another reason, I kept this one quiet from you, but um, another reason you won't like me is that um, <laughs> my Saturn, mm. uh, the memory, the battery memory had gone by the time yes. I got to playing Knights. So the A-Life features in it, oh. I was sort of completely um, oblivious to almost. And that was the most exciting thing about the game to me, but I never really got to experience it other than reading other people's... I sort of, uh, yeah, I got to this game sort of through other people's journeys almost. You know, of course, you can just pop in a new CR2032 lithium cell and repair your Saturn's internal memory. Yeah, I've learned that since, but I, yeah, as a... As a young guy with <laughs> not a lot to spend, I didn't really think about that. Um, yeah. But I will do at some point again, just so I can sort of go through Christmas nights and unlock all that stuff. And yeah, or you can use the um, the the the, uh, the save cart, which I also had one of. Um, the 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 yeah, it was like a. You remember, there's a cartridge slot on the back of the Saturn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, Capcom uh, SNK used it with a with a one meg expansion for King of Fighters, and then Capcom made the four meg expansion, which allowed them to make pretty much arcade perfect versions of uh, Vampire Savior and X Men versus Street Fighter. Well, in that slot, you could also buy a Sega branded. Um, I assume it's EEPROM, is it? Is that the one you write to? Anyway, yeah, I imagine so, yeah, yeah. Some kind of flash ROM anyway. Um, and it had, you know, more memory than you ever needed. So you could back up all your save games onto there. So uh, that was well worth doing because those batteries didn't last very long, the internal uh, Saturn batteries. This was the only game that that really mattered for as well because um, yeah. looking in, people are still figuring out stuff about A-Life to this day. Yeah. Like if you look at forums and people are still figuring out how it changes the music and things like yeah. that. It's um it's utterly bizarre. And again I've tried um I know it all works in the H D remake. But um yeah, I'm gonna try and unlock Christmas Nights on that. Um I I did have a disc, but like this guy I sold it along with Chrono Trigger. That's why I thought I must oh. have written this forum okay. post. I did the same thing where you know, where it's like the choice of keep your retro games or, or pay your bills. <laughs> and, mm. uh, and sometimes the, the choice has to get made. So, yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. 
So sad. Yes, we'll come back to there. There are things to talk about, both the digital and analog control, and also the uh, the whole A life and the music uh, situation. We'll we'll definitely cover those in in detail. Um, I actually have a, have a strong memory of buying this game. It was a it was a, a absolute launch day purchase for me. I wasn't working that day. Um, it was a I believe it was a you know a fifty nine ninety nine release in in uh, in in a but yeah it had it was like a one of the big cardboard outer boxes but inside it had the night controller or the three D controller or apparently as it was known briefly and during development the Spielberg controller because Spielberg had come for a visit and suggested that they use uh, analog sticks a possible apocryphal tale possibly true. And it had the actual game in a dual CD case, just a normal standard plastic uh, CD sized case in a box. So that was my copy of Nights for many years. I remember buying it that morning. Um, I've been really excited about it. Same same route, really, um, through the uh, coverage in things like CMVG. Um, and I'd already got my head, completely got my head around the fact that this was not, as some people believed, uh, you know, some sort of new 3D platformer from the makers of Sonic. This was a very different proposition, um, and it was not meant to be a rival, a direct rival to Super Mario 64. And I think so, ma- so many sort of uh, lesser publications kind of um, build it as this sort of, you know, Sega's answer to Mario in 3D, and it, and it really just. Didn't Mario do killer. Yeah, it didn't do it any favors whatsoever. Um, so I'd I'd had my Saturn like uh, two or three months at this point. Um, I'd I'd got my Saturn like six months after my um, PlayStation. I was a twenty-four-year-old man with disposable income, living out of home. And I remember that morning, um, get, rushing into town, rushing back home to play it. And uh, my girlfriend at the time phoned me up just to see how how I was getting on with it. And I remember it was it, me expressing to her that it was one of the even though yeah, you know, obviously I'd already been into video games for like twenty years, nearly at this point, and and I was already passionate about it. It was one of the first games where I I was actually properly um, in awe at how this little plastic disc with pits and troughs on it, full of zeros and ones, was creating this actual magic in my video in my in my room on my tev- on my telly. And um, I remember actually, you know, just saying that to her and like, the, these are the, I was sort of saying, these are the modern magicians, aren't they? They are making, they are making magic out of numbers effectively. And um, yeah, it was, and, and I've always, so ever since then, really, I've, I've had a close relationship. But like, like many people, I think I did, um, probably there was a point after playing it for the first day where you complete the game because you, because you can quite easily. And then I was thinking for a little while, oh, is that it? But of course, that isn't it, and, uh, and we'll come on to that. I first realised that you were really into Knights when um, it was just after the HD remake had released. Yeah. And you said, "If you're if you're walking on the ground as the kids, you're not playing it right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah, uh, it's one of those it's one of those games where you know I, I've I've tried really hard over the last few years to not be one of those people um, to be you know either very elitist or snobby about the way you play games and and very much always try to uh, couch my uh, you know to present my opinions as just that and not as facts but with some games like I know that if for every every chance there's every chance that if someone is playing knights and they've kind of not understood what's going on which is fair enough because it doesn't really explain itself tremendously well and have ended up playing this kind of really plodding clunky ground-based platformer with <laughs> Clarice and Elliot, then I can totally understand why they would never 
they would not understand why this game is so beloved. You just think, oh, it's just a, an awful relic of, of, a, of, a, you know, of that era. But actually, it's all about being knights. And yes, anyone who's played knights for more than a week will say that if you ever uh, run out of time and fall out of the sky and head back to the floor as Elliot or Clarice, you will not continue that game because there is no point because you've you've basically blown your game and you're playing a game that is far less fun and you'll never get a high score anyway. So, yeah. That, it's almost that's... the equivalent of playing Mario 64 but never jumping in a painting. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that, yeah. Carl, um, obviously uh, you're a bit younger than both of us, but uh, what was your what's your night's history? It's one of those games, and it's been a long time coming on this podcast, but it wasn't one of the games that I got at launch. Mm. Um, it came at a period of time where, as Dan mentioned, you know, computer and video games uh, was was around, and they were incredibly enthusiastic about it. In fact, this was at a time where all the media was really enthusiastic about wanting you to play games and not telling you why you shouldn't, um, which is incredibly different. And I remember that this was so different to anything else, and I had a PlayStation at launch, but I didn't have anything like this on that system, and hmm. it, I kept thinking, I have to play this game. And the launch came by, and I still couldn't afford a, a Sega Saturn, and the next year went by, and I couldn't afford it, but I'd been saving up my pocket money, my birthday money, then my Christmas money, and then my birthday money again, and I actually went out on January 7th, my birthday, in 1998, Went straight into game, and this was at a period of time where there was no shortage of great games to buy on PlayStation, and I decided to walk straight past that aisle. I went to the now rather small Sega Saturn aisle yeah, yeah, and picked up one of the two consoles that they had in the area, plunked it on the, on the counter, and I thought, I've got to have some games. So I went straight over. It was Athlete Kings, Fighters Mega Mix, and... Obviously, the one that I really wanted, Knights, and they didn't have it on the shelf. So I said, please, can you check out the back? And they actually managed to find one. Otherwise, that was going to be my birthday essentially ruined because this was the game I would have been anticipating for a good 18 months by this point because, you know, we had Games Master on the television and they were showing it all the time and it did, it just looked utterly majestic in motion you know you couldn't really get a gauge for what the game was going to be like from the screenshots no no it's a but it's a strange looking game in screenshots it, because it, of the 2d backdrops and and all that yeah mm. exactly and that's obviously where the similarities to it perhaps being just like sonic came from and but when you see it in motion that's where i had to play it luckily they found one out the back we walked straight back to the car i went home and i set it up knights was the first one straight in the system and I didn't have a clue what was going on. No, no. <laughs> As you said, it doesn't explain itself Standard, too well. Standard, yes. Um, yeah. It came with a manual, which also didn't really explain what was going on. And it came at one of those periods of times where you sort of just had to experiment with what was with, and trying to figure out what, what you had to do and what was the purpose of it all. But all the while, whilst you couldn't figure it out, it just had that feeling of motion and fluidity of flight that, that was just... I want to say at the time unique, but I, I would still say it even now. Uh, a totally unique method of motion for the character. And I only played it with the, the digital pad. I also never had an analog hmm. controller. They never had one in stock. I never saw one in the area. So I, I was That's... playing with the, the Saturn control pad, which was, in fairness was a fabulous D-pad, but obviously apparently no substitute for the analog controller. I didn't mean to ask you actually, Leon. Um, yes. The PS2 version, did that have the 
did they try and emulate the Saturn version like they did in the HD remake? You have the choice of the two. You have Brand New Dreams, as it's yep. called, uh, which in the PS2 version is running, I think, in the same resolution, but uses uh, remodeled polygon um, characters and assets. Um, things like the Nitopians are now polygons instead of sprites and things like that. Um, whereas the uh, what it calls Sega Saturn Knights, I think it is, it really isn't because it, like a lot of the effects are different. Things like the 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 transparencies, transparencies stuff, suppose, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So it runs in a the PS2 version is zoomed in to give you a pseudo widescreen presentation on the brand new Dreams. So there's actually there's an argument that on the PS2 version it's better to play the original in 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 its four to three aspect ratio window because you can uh, see actually what's around the edge is better you've got more peripheral vision top and bottom um whereas i think i'm pretty sure that on the the 2012 hd version they uh, corrected the the resolution for this for the widescreen so but having said that i did notice playing the ps3 version which is the one i bought i think simply because it came out several days before the xbox 360 version the frame rate drops more on the widescreen HD version than it does on the Saturn version so if you're actually playing for high scores again it can be better just to play the Sega Saturn Dreams I mean it, there's no difference it's all linked together it's not like separate high scores or anything like that it's purely a, a presentation thing um, and a, another reason if you do have the choice of the three is uh, the PC version is the only one that runs up to 1080 so that's uh, you know theoretically the nicest looking version And but the PS2 version that the modern versions uh, are based on um, was a pretty nice. It was a pretty nice port, you know. It was, um, but there are uh, there are issues about Christmas nights, as in in terms of missing content. But we'll come back to that later. So the development of nights started way back twenty years ago in 1994, um, and apparently it was almost cancelled quite early on, as as many games are. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really finding its feet. Um, and perhaps then, therefore, ironically, it was actually once the idea of the dream, the sort of the dream fantasy scenario and the flying um, concepts and mechanics came in that the game actually started to get properly up and running. Uh, so the director is uh, Naoto Oshima. Now, he is uh, has one astonishing CD. Uh, CD? CV. I'm saying CD because he was the director of Sonic CD. Um, <laughs> he used to be credited as Big Island back in the... Um, in the when Sega didn't give proper credits to their, uh, <laughs> their staff days back on Fantasy Star 2. And so he was a designer on Fantasy Star and Fantasy Star 2, things like that. Since then, um, he, he went on to leave and uh, form... A, a, well, I believe he actually... Going back, sorry, he. I think he actually um, was the main character designer on Sonic as well before, before this. I think it was actually him who came up with the the blue. That won the competition. Won the competition. Yeah, yeah. Was it an internal competition? Yeah, yeah. To yeah. design a mascot. Yeah. And again, that leads on to. I suppose that's kind of why Knights, as a follow-up, like having to follow up on such a big franchise that yeah. he'd been uh, such an integral part of. I can see why it was nearly cancelled. It's um. Yeah. Well, he said himself. He said himself that um, Knights was very much aimed at the Japanese and European markets, where Sonic was very much aimed at the American market, and that's why it's so different. But um, but he's also said that perhaps he had a slightly skewed idea of what America was back then and and what Europeans wanted. But uh, but I don't know. Since then, he's gone off to um, form uh, the Artoon Studio, who've made some. Uh, some games uh, including Yoshi's Island DS and Yoshi's New Island um, largely 
disappointing entries into that particular Blinks the series. Time sweeper. <laughs> Blinks the time sweeper. Yes, he was a, he was the Blinks man. Uh, worked on Burning Rangers as well, which is another game I'd love to do a cane and rinse on someday. Um, but also, interestingly, he was a coder, a programmer on Silent Hill, uh, Silent Hill Three, and Silent Hill Four. According to his CV, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, he's got a, he's got a wild CV. He's since left Artoon and and started another studio called uh, Cavia or is it Carvia? I'm not sure. Uh, oh my word! Okay, that's the near people. So yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, Resident Evil uh, Dark Side Chronicles, the 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 Resi uh, light gun, the recent Resi light gun games. So, but yeah, I mean, just loads Pretty and loads. Pretty diverse. Yeah, in terms of range of games then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oddly, a kind of a thread of dream or nightmare <laughs> scenarios in in yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, now, Yuji Naka was only credited as the producer on this. I think a lot of people. I think. I mean, you know, I say only. That's that's a, that's a significant <laughs> role. But um, in terms of the creativity, I think he wasn't as uh, it, it wasn't his baby in the same way that the original Sonic uh, the Hedgehog game was. But then, you know, after that, the Sonic series kind of got taken away. You know, Sonic 2 was handled half in America with Mark Cerny. Sonic CD was obviously um, Oshima's baby and stuff. So, yeah, that's sort of interesting itself. But one of the, the names, uh, the, the name that you'll see most often if you uh, research Knights is Takashi Izuka, who was the, uh, the sort of the, the lead designer, the actual gameplay designer of the game. Um, and he is still doing stuff to this day. I mean, his first uh, credit that I could see was Sonic 3 and Knuckles, um, the last of the, the classic 2D Sonics for the Mega Drive. Um, Knights was his first game as a lead designer, but he after that he went on and worked on uh, lots of the Sonic games that came after um, to you know to to a mixed reception from the from the from the reasonable uh like sonic 3d blast and sonic r um through sonic adventure and then on to the likes of uh sonic heroes um and even has credits although slightly different ones on uh things like sonic riders but yes sonic rivals sonic rivals 2 and of course he was still the director on knight's journey of dreams which we will talk about briefly later although this uh podcast doesn't officially cover it but yes he's still producing sonic stuff um sonic lost world even um sonic 4 sonic generations sonic colors um so it's yeah like <laughs> looking at oshima's uh, eclectic and wildly impressive for the most part cv um izuka seems to have you know stuck to his stuck to his guns with working with sega but obviously the yeah this is not the sonic podcast but the output has been you know, all over the place. I think, 3D Sonic so has adopted a lot of the uh, the sort of Knights elements of gameplay in odd ways. Like not just the A life, yeah. But, um, the sort of the grinding and combo system making it a a bit less. I know that people say there wasn't much control over Sonic in the first place, but um, <laughs> yeah. there's a bit more of a Knights feel to those 2D side-on sections of the 3D levels in, say, Sonic Generations or that kind of thing, or Sonic Adventure, whatever. That I think, yeah, you can kind of see his uh, thread running through things. I think. Yeah, well, he said that he would like to revisit Knights again. Um, you know, the the reception to the Wii game wasn't wasn't that strong, but um, that was know. before the HD remake, though, wasn't it? So I it wonder was. if that was just a sort of um, you know one of those sort of uh, PR quotes yeah. to sort of hype that there's an HD remake on the way. I'd Possibly. love to to revisit it properly, but um, I, yeah. it does seem to time wise, it does seem to relate to the HD remake. So I don't know. Anyway, apparently it was. Uh, 
Izuka Sands' um, fascination with the works of uh, Carl Jung that uh, that took this night's game into this um, this dream state uh, scenario, um, you know, supposedly exploring the human psyche. Um, but coming to it from my point of view, I still remember uh, I, w- I wasn't aware of that of its you know these um, psychological philosophical leanings um i still remember watching the opening cgs of both claris and elliot for the first time i was watching them again yesterday and um they still really there's something still really appealing about them they they look ever more kind of surreal in that you know the rendering and stuff is not that um you know it's not that high end anymore but i remember just the the amount of effort that had obviously gone into the direction of them with the the audio fitting the visuals so beautifully um i still always felt that the the bit where um so you've got these two kids and they're obviously you know struggling to get over their daytime anxieties in in a nightmare scenario um which is you know how many people still believe that dreams work um so elliot the boy is uh, playing basketball and the big kids come along and show him up basically and make him look silly. And that bit where the ball drops through the floor at his feet, I still find genuinely unsettling. There's something <laughs> really weird about that. And yeah, and the way, you know, Elliot goes, uh, Clarice goes for her her audition uh, to sing in the uh, in the the Twin Seeds Town Festival, and um, the people watching her her audition um, turn into these yeah nightmare and monsters and stuff. I still think those are brilliant. Um, the ball bit that you're saying about it always yeah. had an echo to me of um you know Forrest Gump like um the seats taken kind of it's that mm. um that sort of classic uh, sort of put upon yeah thing it's almost a classic Disney feel to it in an odd way those two intros yeah I mean that's that it's one of those things again where the game has quite a lot of um quite st- stuff that could very much set my teeth on edge in in a lot of scenarios there's some there's some real tweeness to it and um. And you know, you, you mentioned Disney there, and it for me it just always just about maintains enough oddness and quirkiness um, to even when like the the kids are singing the end song, which we'll close this podcast with, you know, slightly out of tune. And you know, if that was I don't know if that was some really tacky Hollywood movie, I'd be I'd be I'd be running I'd be running screaming. But because of everything that's happened in Nights, it's like somehow somehow I can I can just my cynicism sort of melts away and I can just go with it. A spoonful of mescaline helps the sugar go down. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean it's like you say, it's the surreal side of it did actually genuinely sort of affect me, as it always has done. Um it could just be, you know, the overworkings uh, of the imagination of a child. Uh it came from Fantasia Mm. uh, which always creeped me out the first Mm. time I watched it in school and that sort of surreal nature of you know going from A to B doesn't necessarily follow in a straight line when it comes Mm. to surrealism and this was very much the case the whole game was and I think if it wasn't for the 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 wonders of the sort of the music and the the beautiful colors I may not have stuck with the game Mm. uh, because I just genuinely didn't click with stuff that was surreal at the time it it was genuinely unsettling. Uh, mm. Any anything of of that nature was. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just really strange that you mentioned it, and it's just sort of brought back those kinds of memories um, from from my childhood. That was not keen on anything surreal, whether it was art, which was really strange because obviously I ended up studying it later on. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it's kind of odd when you watch that intro again and you realise that there is a genuine undertone of the game being quite dark. 
yeah, uh, mm. and sort of playing on the on the bad dreams because we we all had bad dreams as kids, and they certainly affected us more as kids, uh, and that that's the whole basis of the game. And uh, those flying dreams that yeah, somehow yeah. some things give you echoes of that felt so real as a child. Yeah, um, it has echoes of that. Um, it's a slightly odd tangent, but it's just another thing that reminds me of that. Um, do you know the band Boards of Canada? Mm. Their first album, uh, Music Has the Right to Children. Uh, gives me the same feeling where it reminds me of dreams I had when I was a child, but I can't quite put my finger on how or when. It's just this sort of eerie yeah. quality to it. Yeah. So I totally see where you're coming from, Carl. Yeah, I mean, I I still get um, profoundly uh, vivid dreams. Uh, only in my 40s have I actually started having lucid dreams, which is uh, astonishing and um, uh, yeah, quite amazing. But um, yeah, I used to have I used to have regular dreams where I was uh, flying. I still do. Yeah, I still get them quite often. But it's kind of like it's weird because I'm like the pilot of a of a jet, but there's no cockpit as such. That's I know that sounds weird, but it just you know I feel like I'm swooping headfirst between buildings and down onto the sea and stuff like that. And and I think that's exactly what they were trying to capture in this game. Although obviously it's side on, you know, it'd be, they they tried some more um, some more of the the head on stuff in in the sequel from what I've seen. Um, whereas in this game, where it does go into um, third person behind the character, I think those are actually the weakest sections of gameplay for me. Um, Knights never feels as controllable sideways, uh, you know, sort of sort of looking into the screen as he does, he, she does uh, side on. Um, yeah, I mean, we should, it's, it's, it's one of those uh, where it's tricky because I don't want to over describe the gameplay for people who are listening to the podcast because they know the game. But I do feel that because this was on the Saturn and because it was only re-released on Japanese PS2 and relatively recently in a very, very crowded market that there will be a lot of people listening who have heard of it but haven't played it. So Also, we can't describe the gameplay. No one really knows how <laughs> <No>. it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll give it a go. So the weird thing is you start as uh, the boy or the girl, depending on there. There are uh, seven stages, um, three, three for Clarice, three for Elliot. Um, and then they both have a, a, a final stage, which is uh, I think it's identical for both characters. Pretty much anyway. I think uh, it's is it just item location slightly different. It might be. I yeah. think between the two. But for the most part, the, the environment itself is the same. Yeah. But uh, of the main levels, uh, you know, you've got different settings. You've got a, a sort of uh, foresty place and a watery place and a and a, and a frozen place. Um, they've all got nice names. Um, and uh, you start off every level of nights as as the kid on the ground, uh, having their um, their what are they called idea idea yeah. ideas taken away from. These are ideas with a, with a Y in the middle, um, and these relate to different parts of the psyche. Um, but the one, uh, so the, the mon uh, monsters swoop in and grab them and knock them flying. I mean, it's a weird way to start the level anyway, because it briefly takes control away from you. And then you're only, if you're playing it right, again, you should only be in control of that little kid for literally about two or three seconds and, until you get to the sort of uh, the gazebo where, where knights, <laughs> where knights habits and you become, you sort of, you sort of merge fuse with this. With him, yeah. You, yeah, you fuse with this androgynous uh, Harlequin or Jester type character. Um, very deliberately, this is a genderless character, um, and they kind of messed around with that in in subsequent appearances. But 
at the time they, it was uh, they are uh, the developers are absolutely adamant that this character has no gender it, it is neither male nor female it is it is a knight's did you and look up any of the forum arguments about this on the on the researching for this show? i did not i love that people still argue to this day even though there is no they've stated many years ago there's no gender but people still argue to this day it's, well yeah they kind of they've they've muddied the waters sega themselves uh, and even uh izuka himself by in the wii game it's referred to as a he it, like in text knights is a he but has a female voice actor so just you know just just to clear it up yeah then once you fuse with knights um the first your first task is to uh again this is uh in my head because this is what i've learned through years and years of replaying it your first task is to as quickly as is humanly or knightly possible to get 20 blue uh tokens chips orbs collected and to deposit them in the uh the floating uh, machine or whatever that's called the idea capture. I don't actually know why you do that as such, but the idea is that you're sort of you're somehow gathering resources to give yourself the strength to get through this nightmare. It's one of those strange systems where if it was an actual dream you're having in real life, it would make complete sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then it's it's one of those where you're in the shower the next morning and you're like, oh, yeah. well, that doesn't actually yeah. make any sense at all but it, you know yeah. and that's kind of what the whole game's based around anyway so in yeah, the sense of the is, game yeah. it makes sense you've got to get 20 of something yeah so you get 20 of those and that's when bonus time starts now again if you were just playing the game for the first time and you thought okay so this is a game where you collect stuff and you drop stuff off and then this is the weird thing about knights from that point on you can finish the level and you can even do it by accident by swooping back into the gazebo now the the real hook tonight comes when you realise that actually what you want to do is do nothing interesting on that first lap other than collect 20 orbs. And then that's when the game for me and for a, as a long term prospect, as you'll hear from some of our correspondents, the reason that people play this game year after year after year is because it becomes this freewheeling, soaring, swooping, combo based score attack game where you're flying through the hoops in sequence, you're killing enemies on the spin, you're using uh, the only button that you need, which is uh, the A button to boost, um, to, to give you uh, the possibility of this power loop, which is where you can go go back on yourself and uh, uh, trap enemies within it. Actually, you don't have to boost to do a small power loop, but to do the large ones you will. And also you're using the, the boost just to generally get from section to section faster and ultimately some of the courses allow you to do what's known as an infinite link it's not infinite because you run out of time unless you're playing link attack on christmas nights um but that's where the real addiction the rising tone and learning the path through every level to link all the hoops and i think particularly that the real hook for me is the bit where you say you're you're traversing between two sets of uh, you know, hoops, orangey yellow hoops in the sky, and there's a there's a big cluster of stars and orbs in the middle, which go gold after you've collected the orbs the first time from blue to show they're worth more points. You do a big loop in the sky, and the power loop sucks all the uh, all the items towards you, um, and so your link continues to rise as you collect each one in as they're sort of flying in your wake. So that your link continues to go up while you get to the next set of, of loops and so on. Um, and that's where this rising tone that goes with each link and the, the, the keeping the link going until you can get it up to 
is it 99 the maximum or does it even go to 999 i can't even remember um but that's that's where for all the greats you know the stuff the the scenario the music the settings that is where that is why this game is one that i keep coming back to because every time i play it i'm trying to set new high scores and it's it's truly it's when you're doing it it's really beautiful and the the funniest part is the first time you do it and you think you've done a great job because you don't really understand how yeah. the whole mechanics work mm. and you're doing these wonderful backflips and you're pulling all the stuff towards you and you finish the level and you go yes and it comes and it goes e and you're like huh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, that's exactly what I mean. You can accidentally so at any stage, like some of, some of these courses, the the map, uh, the 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 uh, circuit lengths are very different. They're divided into each each level is divided into four um, subsections. Each time you have to collect the twenty uh, chips and then go on to the bonus time bit, which is where the game really begins. So say you're collecting gold orbs, but at any time, if you accidentally finish your lap and dive into the gazebo, you've killed your run. Basically, that that's part of the skill is not accidentally closing the run. And another huge uh, risk reward part of the game is the can i get one more lap in before the time runs out that's that absolutely key i think the thing that throws most people or at least certainly threw me at the time is i can't really remember playing something that heavily relied on any score attack feature not until i played yeah even at that well i mean it was kind of a throwback in a way to the earlier arcade machines but we were in a period then of um we were probably in 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 one of the first rushes of games, actually getting rid of score counters and becoming more about finishing, you know, get seeing seeing yeah. the cutscenes, seeing the end sequence. But actually, I think I'm more on about just the you know the, the that massive risk reward of hitting right. another multiplier or another multiplier and going again. And it's similar to, and it sort of disappeared for a while after this, and it's appeared in little games. But the, in the strangest way, that heavy risk reward factor, the closest thing that I would compare it to, is the um, the Batman Arkham Asylum Arkham City combat challenges combat. where you've got yeah. to try and get oh, yeah. every kind of move in and yeah. you've got to try and hit them all and you know you get your timing wrong or you replicate a move or something and your combo's not quite working out and you can you push for it one last time and you lose it all and you you want to so you restart the challenge and you decide that you know you you're going to do that spin attack first then leap over and then pull them towards you it's that sort of same sort of thing when yeah. you hit your stunt ribbon and you decide you're going to do the the corkscrew and then you're going to hit like the roulette round and then you know you, you and you get that set pattern in your head and if you don't quite get it right you get really frustrated and like you said your whole run's ruined you start you you start the whole lot again yeah yeah i mean the stunt ribbon's a whole a whole uh, sort of other element again yeah. it's whether 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 it's worth going for the points that you will get from the stunt ribbon or whether you should just continue focusing on your link i actually for the first time in probably about 18 years i got the uh, dreamy um uh, for the, for the maximum amount of stunts Ooh. you can do i'm not how sure many how many is that i think it 11 must, it must be 11 yeah um playing it and that's playing it on ps3 the other day and i got the trophy for it so now the only trophy i have left is uh, one that we'll discuss later um which i've never done but i do remember i'm pretty sure i remember getting a dreamy once back on the saturn back in the in the late 90s and uh, and i hadn't got it since then and it was just oh it's so good <laughs> to get a trophy for it as well it's just like i immediately wanted to um buy the xbla and pc versions as well just to do it again <laughs> um yeah uh but no, I mean, I was thinking about sort of spiritual, because this game will probably always stand fairly unique, d disregarding sequels and things. But you can, I think you can, there will never be a game that is completely like Knights. And there was never one that was completely like it before it. But there I mean, are... I think it would actually be a genuine hard sell now, in, in oh, the, the gosh, way the market yes. yeah, is yeah. now. It was, it was tough enough then, and we were yeah, yeah. 
sort of, I'd like sure. to think we were maybe more open-minded to, to the craziness element yeah. of games. I think uh, so, yeah. I think there's maybe a lineage, though, of, like, did you ever play Uni Racers or Uni Rally on the I was going to mention, I was going to mention Uni Rally, um, and similarly, uh, a game which I think is another spiritual successor to Uni Rally is Joe Danger. And Joe yeah, Danger... Oh, Matt, yeah, we're going to end with that, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. yeah, and Joe Danger definitely has elements of, of knights in it, I think. And uh, Tony Hawks, or... Um, mm. Well, that, that's the way I was Ollie Ollie. was the, the yeah, Tony Hawk yeah. side of it. Yeah. I played Wiz and Liz on the Mega Drive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that sort of, you know the rolling motion you have to do to get the jump to, if you're playing it to the sort of high levels. Yeah. Where you have to do these sort of circular jumps. Uh the feeling of that to me is very like playing knights, but then I played knights with a D-pad rather than an analog <laughs> stick, but um yeah, that sort of motion and the flow of it and the risk reward and the time running out. Like you know where um in Wiz and Liz, uh, once you've got all the rabbits like getting all the uh, the gems, yeah. Um, then you've got time. You've got the timer running out, and then you can collect all the bonuses until that point. Um, I think it's the gameplay loop is almost there with that. Um, mm. I think it's worth going back and pl- if someone hasn't played that, it's worth going back and looking at in terms of maybe a, something that Knights used as a reference. I don't know. Was that Traveller's Tales, Wiz and Liz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lego, the Lego people, as as they are now known. Yeah, <laughs> same same company. Didn't oh, hang on, no, um, Bizarre Creations. Oh, it was bizarre. Okay, yeah, so uh, the... Traveller's Tales was Pugsy. They were kind yes. of brother and sister games. I always yeah. get them muddled up. Yeah, yeah, Bizarre Creations as well. Yeah, they started off on um, yeah various platformers that um, and then went on to Formula One and uh, Project Gotham's. Yeah. Um. So. Yes, you've got these multiple... And, and another thing I wanted to mention about the stage, as well as them all looking distinctly different, uh, even if the core gameplay was the same, um, every stage has some sort of unique features and elements and little bits of gameplay that you never see anywhere else. There's a lot of sort of throwaway elements. I'm thinking like the bit where on the Soft Museum you get into a cannon and you bounce between these um, platforms. And, and again, that's... Um, that's one of those bits that I don't necessarily f- think feels quite so good as the side-on stuff, but it, but it does help to to mix up you know mix up the game. I always had problems with there's the there's also the the bit on Stick Canyon, which is the sort of um, the always in the latter parts of a Sonic Team game, the sort of mechanical area. Um, there's one of the one of the last uh, courses. You have like a two consecutive rides on a basically you get stuck to a kind of metal slab, um, and you get taken through two massively long loop-de-loop roller coaster sequences. Um, and I always found I still find it really hard to actually collect any kind of decent amount of stuff on those sections. And I always find those a bit annoying and stressful. Whereas I just want to be. I just kind of wish that they'd put more sections in, like. Uh, is it Frozen Bell 2 which is an infinite link stage just more of those is it because you lose that sense of freedom that I think that's it you're basically on a torture rack it's trying to make you stressful yeah I I realise that I mean yeah it sort of reminds me of the you know that even the latter stages in Sonic 1 when you're in the the mechanical zone or whatever it is and the you know buzz saws everywhere suddenly you've gone from things that throw you forwards and yeah that's right you've gone from this really sort of idyllic uh, albeit treacherous uh, areas like you know Green Hill zone and marble zone um in 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 nights you've got you know splash garden and and spring valley but you end up in this in this much more treacherous place with with uh electrifying beams and things that fly down from the there's that bit as well where you're flying up the tower and sweeping left and right and then you get the the warning alarm and the big lumps of stuff come down towards you and uh yeah i mean i realize it's meant to be the game getting harder but i mean maybe there are more links available in those later levels than i'm capable of of doing 
Um, but I still, uh, when I've looked up online to find out about, uh, you know, people setting records and obviously now you've got online leaderboards you can look at all the japanese people who have got the most obscene scores on uh, on some of these stages but a lot of the stages don't seem to really allow you to create links which always felt to me like a bit of a, a missed opportunity i wanted more of that either that or we just haven't figured out how to do them yet <laughs> well that that's what i'm wondering that's what i'm wondering yeah um i remember at the time so playing this back in Talking about the graphics, um, playing this back in 96. Now, we didn't have uh, PAL N64 yet, um, but we'd obviously seen them running on telly and on video. The Saturn was known, was already becoming known as a machine that was, uh, apart from in the hands of internal expert teams like AM, you know, the AM teams and stuff, the Saturn was a machine that was not as capable of rendering polygons and, uh, and that as the PS1. I certainly wasn't very good at transparencies and stuff. The architecture of the Saturn was more based around moving, you know, 2D stuff around really, really well, which it did extraordinarily well. Um, and even at the time, you know, I think it was commented upon that some of the, particularly some of the sprite-based assets were, you know, did look very low res and stuff like that. But but again, the overall effect that the world gave, even though there's, there's quite a lot of pop in, um, which is still present on the modern versions and stuff. I don't know. For, I don't know about you, fellows, but for me, uh, once you're in and, and the game moves so fast, you're kind of less. Uh, you're less aware of such. How did you feel about them then? Were you were you purely pure blown away? Were you aware of I any mean, of the I shortcomings? Was, I was genuinely excited because of what I'd seen, and I always expected that when I was playing it, it was going to feel somewhat like Pandemonium did on the PlayStation, mm -hmm. the side-scrolling, the fast and the wow. sort of semi-3D, 2D movement. 2.5D. Yeah, and, and then when I played it, I realised it was actually so much more. And there was pop-in, and the, there were little sprite issues. But I, I always remember being overwhelmed by how beautiful some of the animations were on nights as he was flipping mm. around and, and, and twisting and stuff. So none of that stuff ever bothered me because the the central figure of it all was just so mesmeric to watch. You know, it, so beautiful. And even now, when you watch videos of it and you see people that are actually good at the game, <laughs> it's really just so different to anything else I've seen before or since. Uh, that that any of the little issues that the that the Saturn had in displaying the game never ever bothered me. Dan, it's certainly one of those games where they played to the strengths of the console. It was clearly one of those internal, you know, when internal teams are just that little bit yeah. better at using the the libraries to make things look just right. Um, and to me, but to me, it did seem like a sort of um, a progression of the Sonic look. Uh, albeit to yeah. sort of 3D-ish, but um, the colours and, like Palette, you say, yeah. it goes to the mechanical zone and like, things like that. It's um, almost like following... It's like a set of Sonic levels, but playing them entirely differently. Um, maybe that, I'm only saying that with hindsight, because Sonic Adventure and such like have <laughs> done the same thing with with 3D. But um, I always love the look, but I think this game would actually work without graphics, if that makes sense. I was thinking about this last week. Like, mm. It would work as an indie game if you were just a dot. Um it almost relates to the genderless character that like this game could work with just a sort of black background with like gems in the air or like and a few yeah. little things to do with just a dot that you control like like making a line um so 
as much as I love how it looks, I'm not sure how important it is to me as part of the game. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It is, yeah, like so many games that are real, you know, obviously not for everybody, but for many people, this is a game that people still love to play and go back to many people, you know, boot up Christmas nights year after year, if nothing else. Um, and yeah, if it, if it was purely the experience that was given by the audiovisual side of things that might have been state of the art in 1996, that wouldn't work. Whereas it is, it is the hook of the gameplay, the exact gameplay that we've been talking about the 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 swooping and the looping and the linking um that keeps this forever fresh um but as i say that's why um you know if i'm being exceptionally uh well no if i'm not exceptionally if i'm but if i am being critical about this game that i absolutely do love um it would be that i think there are too many levels where the um the sort of design of the level gets in the way of that core gameplay that's so that's so incredibly well uh, expressed on those levels where you can do an infinite or near infinite link um as you know there's so many sections where you have to go through like the the bit in splash garden where you go into the water and you go down and there's a there's a link uh, collectible there which which are always fun because you have to then it gives you a number and then you have to uh, unlock a link of that many links to get the, the points out of that bubble and that's always really satisfying but that that section then goes into a bit where you're kind of being pushed through this water um from uh, in a sort of over the shoulder view or over the flippers in this case as knights turns into this sort of amphibious version of itself um but again those bits i've never felt fully in control of those bits so again just those little sections just take away from I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they thought that just having level after level of pure uh, looping and swooping and comboing wouldn't have cut it. Maybe they felt that it was necessary to have the the sort of variety. Perhaps one of the things was, and I've mentioned this on another show, is that of the era, it was you know we just come into the the CD gaming era, the three D gaming era, and you tend to see that companies were perhaps trying a little too hard to push certain things and it could go to the detriment of the game and there, like you said there's some areas in this game where you've got total freedom or it feels like total freedom um yeah i mean a, it's a free a free yeah. flight and it's so wonderful to play and then you get the other restrictive areas where perhaps at the time it was a case of them showing off uh yeah. with the, these are the graphics these are the environments that we can do and those are the areas that have aged the most now yeah i think you're right it's it's so hard because I think without those bits that I'm now less fond of. I mean, I was always less fond of certain bits of certain levels, and it is it, they are in a minority. But yeah, I think you're right. I think they do stand out more now because you're. Um, I think partly as as much as anything, another you know another eighteen years on of playing video games, I'm kind of more aware of what I like, what I don't like. I've you know I've become more um, studied and critical about about things, and I realise that. As you know, and, yeah, and as the state of the artness of, or, or the the general spectacle of the of the game has somewhat diminished, although certainly not completely for me, because um, the audio visual side is still hugely appealing to me. But those uh, those three D bits now, yeah, kind of stick out like a sore thumb in the in the control is almost feels like it's almost wrestled away from the player, and and that feels at odds with. Yeah, like you say, it's it's not really freedom because actually you're on a very limited path. I mean, the the game sends you around a two D course that hap you happen to be able to view in bits of three D. Um, 
but I mean, yeah, the it it can actually some sections are actually quite claustrophobic. But I mean, that's partly because the camera is so zoomed in, presumably to maintain the frame rate. Um, that it, part of the game is learning the courses by simply trying, you know, swooping up and down at certain sections just to see what's there, so that next time you know that you do want to swoop to the bottom just to collect those two stars to keep your link going or those two orbs at the top or or, or whatever. If, yeah, I mean, it's just a shame when you get such great games design that, that you can give that, that, like you say, a fake sense that, you, that you're free, the, the, the freedom of movement, um, that when it's lost, especially now, because, you know, we still say that video games are in their infancy overall and... There have been for a good forty years, and mm. this is essentially half of that time ago now. Yes, this was, you know, and it was that three D era coming in. It was a really difficult time, and those are the games that have unfortunately aged the most. And as often, yeah. Dan, as Dan said, that it's it, it could be done with simple lines, and it's it's that method of motion that that makes this game still feel really interesting to play that without those visuals perhaps now the game would be better to play than with the the 3d graphics uh, that that sort of forced technology at the time um it, it it's perhaps that's what's aging the game the most yeah in in, in 2014 and, and and that's that's a shame uh, are there any other examples of a game using an analog stick in 2d in the same way as this like, is that something to do with it that we don't? It, hmm. It's a it's a genuinely two D game, really. Like, whereas we, analog sticks were there for like three D games. Um, it's interesting that they sort of chose to launch the pad with what's yeah. essentially a two D game, but with an analog stick. That's true. Yeah, I see what you're saying, Carl. Um, something like Geometry Wars, but that is effectively a game that could be eight way joysticks, two eight way joysticks in the yeah. in the way that Robotron was. I mean, it wouldn't be that, the same. Uh, it's just like Smash TV essentially, yeah. but yeah. You, you you get that. But there's obviously a wider or a sense of a wider range of movement in something like Knights because the stage is actually developed around that that platforming without actually really yeah landing on the ground i, I mean um, obviously i'm the, sure there are others but yeah obviously the non-iconic yeah i mean obviously the analog controller has been embraced by any number of side-on 2d platformers since in the sense that games like super meat boy and spelunky would not play the same without the con- without the controls that they have they wouldn't work the same on a on a D-pad, just you know, just because you have the the degrees of of subtlety. But in terms of that, you know, particular, again, it is. It just comes back to that the fact that you can, you know, just willfully loop de loop at any time. Yeah, you know, it's something we've hardly mentioned so far. Are actually the things that can hurt you, um, the things that can stop your run. As I mean, time is your greatest enemy in this game, um, and that's illustrated by the fact that. When you come across these uh, nightmare and enemies, they will um, either actually take a number off your time, uh, the amount of time you have left, you know, minus five seconds or whatever, which is cruel. You can get a lot of points in that. Um, or they will actually, you know, temporarily stop or disable or reverse your movement, stuff like that. Um, and that's why, again, on your first... Uh, although I said earlier, slightly correcting what I said, you know, the first thing to do is to go around and collect 20 blue chips to start bonus time. On that first run, you can also uh, save yourself a lot of heartache by um, zapping a few uh, enemies as well. We can't talk much more before we talk about the uh, about the music. Um, 
I remember uh, the uh, the CMVG reviews that were were uh, in love with this game, and previews, reviews, and post release articles about you know maximizing your score and stuff. They they would often talk about the music. Um, it's unusual in that it is uh, it is not always the same. So uh, the lead composer was Tomoko Sazaki, um, and I believe that. Uh, he uh, is the main. He's the main composer. He composed um, most of the well-known um, songs that you'll hear. Uh, also worked on uh, Cave Shooter, Death Smiles Two X, more recently. Um, also worked on Burning Rangers and Samba de Amigo and Space Channel Five and various other Sega things. Uh, also uh, on the game now, Fumi Hataya and Fumie Kumatani. Um, I wonder if, given how different some of the boss music sounds, that maybe they did. Uh, some of the boss tracks. I'm not sure. Um, as with colla- uh, as always with collaborations, it's very hard to find out who exactly did what. Um, and it's very it's disappointing because it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. Because you 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 go to do research on this, and the amount of people who talk or celebrate this music but don't actually even think to name the composers is <laughs> like so so weird. You wouldn't do that with with quotes real music. You know, it's like you know people post up these soundtracks on YouTube and they say this is from the game such and such and they don't put who actually wrote the songs. Now I know it can be hard to break it down but maybe this knowledge could be you know extricated by by actually celebrating these composers. Anyway the music from the opening uh, to me is astounding. Um, you've got the uh, grand orchestral opening um, the music as I say that that is that backs the the intro uh, videos uh, is first beautiful and then scary and atmospheric but the the in-game music for the uh the six main themes for each of the levels are the are the real highlights for me and um yeah reading reading those magazines that were generally celebratory there were there were always a couple of dissenting voices saying oh god this music's driving me insane and, and i can imagine that if you weren't into the game if you weren't playing the game it's incredibly um upbeat high tempo fiddly and twiddly and jolly and like you know irrepressible but on uh, a very bad crt tv that ha- didn't have very good like one mono speaker on the side <laughs> yeah. that harmonica stroke accordion sound could quite cut through I imagine <laughs> yeah absolutely um, but yeah when I because I've been back playing it to, in preparation for this podcast and because it's uh, nearly Christmas at the time of recording I mean that that Jingle Bells song is another <laughs> that's another matter uh, I mean it just goes round and round and round and round and round um, also there's a great if you have the PS3 version um, it, I know Jay's been our Jay's been selecting a lot of cross media bar tunes for um, for sound of play but actually the Knights one is really good because it's like a medley of a lot of the overtures from the game um, from the the orchestral music from the intro and things like that but yeah we can't talk about the music without talking about um, how and why it it metamorphoses morphs throughout your your playing and again this is something that I didn't perhaps even notice at first so uh, this ties in with a life doesn't it uh, so you have uh, you have a basic tune which uh, where everything starts out on this um, so each instrument is playing on its kind of uh, its middle pattern but actually as there are these creatures called Nitopians who live in the land and you can hatch them from eggs and uh, every so often a new egg will appear and you can either hatch it or you can leave it. Uh, I think they get annoyed if you don't hatch them. So actually, 
Um, but if you're going for high scores, you're not going to be stopping to hatch eggs, obviously. These Nitophians are cute little cherubic, cherubic creatures uh, who float about. Sometimes they, they do different things depending on their mood. They'll be playing instruments or sweeping up or floating upside down or you know, various things. And then there are these uh, the enemies, which are Nightmarens. If the population of Nightmarens... I'd see, I don't even know the rules, but if the if you kill too many Nightopians and not enough Nightmarens then the music starts to take uh, on a minor key and a more sinister tone because it goes down. It's got, you know, it's basically got a set of sliders, which you can see in the Christmas Nights Unlock, um, and you can manually remix it there. So if you if you play badly and do mean things to the Nightopians, the music gets less and less cheerful, right? That's the simple version. And if you, if you play well and uh, you cultivate the Nightopians in these lands so that they're they're all happy and they're they're not scared of you because that you're going to suck them into the the loop and hear that awful ah noise <laughs> um and you can make get the music all the way up to the top end of the of the jollity spectrum um and that's that's about it but actually it kind of for, for months and months this was just kind of happening and i wasn't really i was like doesn't that sound a bit different to the last time i played it you know because i was i was loving the music but then it would like sometimes one of the key melody lines would drop out or be replaced by a slightly you know yeah different melody uh, uh something more melancholic or or whatever do you remember have you seen the debug mode debug um, no it, i've only seen uh, the... it shows a little bit more detail than christmas nights on how it works okay brilliant um Please. there's some great videos um there's uh oh i I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but if you search uh, on Twitch for like Nights into Dreams debug mode, you'll find it. This guy, um, he's he doesn't know how it works. He's been looking at it for years. <laughs> um, doesn't know what all of the numbers mean within it. Like you say, it's sort of sliders, but it's a set of um, letters. I think it's letters that it uses, which again, like they seem to like using letters in this game for like grading and ranking things. Yeah, and yeah, it works on. I think there's like seven different parts that get changed. Yes, and they get changed between four different modes, which gives like so much different <laughs> opportunities for it. Variation, to, yeah, as yeah, you say, yeah. sound different over months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel really sad that I only played sort of vanilla nights. As I say, not having the battery, like I of course, was always yeah. sort of starting afresh. Um, but then some people, um, again in forums and stuff, people talk about it as like the vanilla nights experience. Right. Like, right. oh, should I should I reset my memory because <laughs> I'm missing the music and things like that? So ah, um. yeah, well, that, that's is, that is a reasonable point actually. But I think the the concept is that you play. Like I, I assume the idea is, I mean, maybe yeah, maybe if you want the the miserable version of the music because you like it, um, then you could deliberately play badly. Or if you wanted to max out the um, the happiness of the Nitopians, you you should get the ultimately, you know, the you should be that should be your aim, shouldn't it? I mean, the most euphoric, the most yeah. euphoric, yeah. And you can check this on the um, on the current you know HD versions, um, and it's still you know the music still works. I'm really glad about that because they could so easily. Um, for that PS2 version that, that it was based on, just left that out. You know, they could have just been like, ah, it's too much hassle. We'll just give you the, the basic themes. But I noticed um, even looking for music to download for the podcast, um, some of the sites that host 
video game music they have like multiple versions of each of the tracks so like angry version you know happy version and neutral version things like that for each for each stage but um god i love some of those tunes i love so much of the music throughout this game from you know even just the menu music and stuff is extraordinary that that little bit that plays just as you're about to meet wiseman uh the final boss who we haven't even mentioned who's who's uh dastardly plotting is is responsible for all this action um but yeah the music to like the soft museum and stuff is just just stunning um and you know just locked in my head basically part of my internal jukebox for 18 years now and all it takes me is to boot boot up the game for one afternoon and play each stage once and they're all back in my head for the next you know three months or whatever just i mean it's marvelous. a genuinely beautiful soundtrack to that to the entirety of the game especially with you know the different versions of it all which i genuinely never heard um mm. them all as you say it is possible to play the whole game never realize it's changing you know you might be curious as to did that sound a little bit different but you sort of pass it off because it was such a sort of a rare thing that the, the as you said they built it around the air life system but when you listen back to it now and I've, I've been thinking about this in the lead up to this podcast this might genuinely be the last sega game with a soundtrack that i absolutely loved that was so truly memorable and, and it might in in regards it might be the last game that I truly loved for many reasons uh, from from Sega not that they've released you know they've still released some good games but it's just so memorable for so many different reasons all the different tunes for the different worlds you know the jolly ones when it gets a bit dark and sinister it sounds great and now I, I genuinely can't think of many games since from Sega or for the rest of the Dreamcast or even the, the uh, for the rest of the Saturn, sorry, and, and the Dreamcast, the console I loved, where so many elements of a game, uh, like you said, locked away in, in that sort of eternal, internal, <laughs> eternal jukebox, uh, yeah. in my case, that it's just magic. As you said, that opening is the one for me. The 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 intro when it when it plays off the intro is just wonderful. It's almost got like a musical feel to it. Yes, yes, yeah, it's like the start of a show, isn't it? It's like the yeah, start of a big yeah. show. And I mean, it's absolutely integral as well, as as well as it literally, the music being connected to your actions in the game, the the rhythm, the the pace, the tempo of the music is is absolutely in sync with the game. It's, there's no there's no doubt about that, that it's, it is an integral part of the experience. It's not a game I don't think you'd want to play muted uh unless you know you're one of those people that just finds those instruments those particular that particular kind of music very irritating but um i think yeah well, the whole game has a rhythm to it doesn't it yeah so yeah. It, it, the music truly belongs with all the actions that are happening on the screen the sound effects seem to sort of happen if not quite on beat but at least yeah in, in a rhythm with like yeah, um with what's going on. quantized in the way that they are in space invaders extreme kind of thing not yeah, not quite yeah. but almost yeah yeah, it's, I think it's going for that at least. Yeah, which... yeah, absolutely. I, I I noticed today there are some, you know, just looking around night soundtracks on YouTube. There are people who have done things like um, taken the the music from Jackal, one of the bosses, and tried to pass all the the weird vocal whispers and samples that there are in that track and which you know stuff which i just never even thought about doing but this is one of those games and i know this this is true of a lot of games but for for its real fans there how you know there is like you know just decades worth of stuff to mine there in in terms of um 
you know finding out interpreting and um you know to levels that we can't possibly go into in a two-hour podcast and, and we're just not expert necessarily on any one particular game to go into those levels but people who are true knights obsessives you know there are so many um fans out there that there's there's so much study i like you're talking about the the discussions on forums and things like that did you venture onto knightsintodreams.com yes yes um a guy from that started doing a playthrough of it on YouTube recently. Oh. Uh, he's one of the um, admins there. Like, he's worked on the site for years. And it's interesting to see him play it and still not quite know exactly what's going on at all points. Yeah. Um, and this <laughs> is a guy that's played it, like, since launch and is a fan enough to, um, like, co-run a fan site. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And still doesn't, yeah, so much to discover. Yeah, I mean, again, one could, uh, you could play devil's advocate and use stuff like that as almost a criticism um you know the idea that there's so much of this game even you know for for some people i you know that anecdotally i know plenty of people who just didn't like this game from the start because they had no idea what they were doing oftentimes it was a case of um confounded expectations you know they wanted or they thought they were going to be playing some sort of game even if it was just because they'd seen one magazine cover where it was you know knights versus mario or something like that it was like they were expecting some game and and that can really you know it can really throw you off um i personally love the fact that it's got so much of this bizarre and byzantine stuff in it and easter eggs and and weirdness i mean to continue the a life conversation i still don't understand the whole uh hybridizing your nightmarens and nightopians thing like if you go and look at the you on the recent versions um as as it was on christmas nights you've got a a viewer of your like the state of your level of each level so that shows you how happy everyone is how happy the nightopians are um and how bouncy the music is and stuff like that and what what level that that's at but there's also this whole thing where you can create abominations <laughs> by killing Oh, is it? Is it if you is it if you suck a nightopian and a nightmare and into one paraloop? And I don't know. It's it's all beyond me. I have to I have to admit. But again, it's all out there. Um, Meepians, that's what they're called, isn't it? You can um, you can create meepians by by grabbing n- uh, nightmarens, uh, and that that's actually when you ping them off. I think, isn't it? But and you can actually create ultimate. You can create like ultimate versions of them as well, can't you? Like super Nepians and strange stuff like that. That the, the king Nepian. Ex- yeah, yeah. I think there's a, something like two or three, and I'm not entirely sure if anyone's ever figured out what the exact criteria is to do it. Oh, I, I feel yeah. like that, that seems to be the case for a lot of this game. Yeah, I mean they continued with their a life uh, shenanigans, Sonic Teeth, uh, Sonic team in um sonic adventure and stuff like that with the chow garden and and all that i think i think that was born out of the same chows were born out of the same uh egg basket as as nightopians um and they've sort of made various appearances since then but yeah it's it's such a it's it's one of those things where yes okay i could just go delving into it and look into it and try to find it all out but i I almost don't want to it's part of the magic is not knowing part of the magic is just letting it happen when you play the whole game's a mystery, really, isn't it? Let's let's be honest. I mean, you can't really put your finger on anything and start naming specifics about the game. I mean, you couldn't really name a specific genre for it. You couldn't name specifically what the enemies, uh, the the creation of the air life characters. Yeah. It's and like it's, that is the entire magic of this game that we're talking 
over 15 years later, we still can't talk about this game in absolutes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if, if the fact that we can't is one thing, but the fact that Dan's saying that there are hardcore, you know, proper hardcore mm. fans. Like, I consider myself a a lover of this game. You know, I've, yes. I've, I've adored it for, for 20 years, but I've also played a million games in the meantime, you know, whereas generally for any game we cover, there will always be more hardcore people who know more about it than us. Um, out there with their own fan sites and whatever, but even they, in this case, don't know everything, and that's that's unusual because I would say in most games, kind of most secrets have been unearthed. It's unusual, you know. You, we had recently the um, there was some new uh, Calendar Man dialogue in Batman: Arkham City, and that was like, wow, somebody squirreled something away that nobody knew about for like two years, and that that's remarkable. But um, that's that's definitely unusual nowadays, um, whereas people are still trying to pick apart this this really old you know really quite old game we've touched on it but um it literally explains nothing there is no tutorial you know it just throws you no. in it it there's no explanation really as to any of it outside of i suppose the manual and what you could read and find in magazines at the time but yeah, I can't even remember kind of how what it says about the scenario on the back of the box. I mean, I I, I remember very clearly it was it was one of those I had the um, you know it was one of the satin boxes that was the kind of cardboard outer before they changed to the the more DVD style plastic sleeve um, box, and it had inside it had one of their normal uh, manuals, which were quite similar to the Mega Drive manuals, weren't they? They were a big sort of um, like uh, landscape. Uh, format manual and it had quite a few pages of English uh, information in as well as other languages um, and I'm you know back in those days I always used to read the manual I, I, I used to you know generally it was read the manual on the bus or even on the walk on the way home and I think I did pick up certain I do remember picking up certain things for it but I'm, I'm certainly sure I would have picked up more from CMVG you know the, the, this the, their, their passion for it is what uh, is what helped sort of um, unearths enough of the game for me to understand why it was worth playing and replaying. Because I'm pretty sure, as I said earlier, I'm pretty sure when I first played this through, there was definitely a, oh, now I knew I'd only got C grades or whatever all the way through. But so I knew there was that to do. And that does, you know, getting A's and everything does open up the, the, the full ending and so on. Um, but I, ha I suppose I hadn't necessarily gathered that and I was going to play it and play it and play it and always try and get new scores. You know, now, when I load up the PS3 version, which I've had for two years, what am I? What do I do? Well, of course, I play each level to hear the music and I try to get a bigger score than I got last time I lo loaded up the game. Simple. But back then it was like, yeah, what am I doing? And yeah, just the amount of time I must have wa wasted running around on the floor of the level, running away from that alarm clock <laughs> to no avail. I believe and you... Of course, this is at a period of time where you couldn't exactly just log on the internet no. and go, oh yeah, that's what you do. And I remember when yeah. this got released a couple of years ago on the uh, next gen arcades and people were just dumbfounded. As to what you do, I don't yeah. know, you know, what what am I supposed to do? And I, I do remember you trying to help people out, and I also remember you being quite vocal when the patch was released for the analog. Yeah. Um, but it was quite interesting that, that all these people that I follow that are heavily into games had never experienced Knights, and which is understandable given that the, the Saturn didn't exactly sell yeah. uh, great uh, over here. But the, it's very unforgiving in what it tells you, and we're at a period of time, sadly, where 
people can move on to games very quickly if it doesn't click with them. Yeah. And back then, when you were splashing out, as you said, it was £60 for your version with the thing. Yeah. I paid considerably less because I'd waited over a year. I think I paid maybe £25. But still. And you 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 would sit with that game for a little bit longer because you weren't just racing onto a new game the next week. And I think, had that not been the case, I may have very well overlooked Nights yeah. for how little it actually told you. Yeah. But because I stuck with it, I just it's it's a grower. You know, you, you complete it in three hours and you realise, well, that can't be it all. And then the next time you go in it, you realise that if you do this, this happens. And, and it sort of grows out rather quite wonderfully. It's an experience more than it is a game. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, the initial play of Lilac Wars or Star Fox 64. You mm. know, you, you, you get to the end on your first game, basically. And... Uh, and but you've seen nothing really, or you've you know you've seen, you've had some spectacle, you've shot some aliens, uh, but you haven't seen most of the game, and you certainly haven't started to accomplish the medals. It's very much one of those sorts of games. I didn't really like the gameplay until two thousand and four, I think, or sometime around oh, then. Oh, that's fascinating! Uh, like I love the music and uh, the whole aesthetic uh, the feel of it yeah. yeah everything about it the whole sort of uh, it's the Sega Blue Skies. Yeah, yeah, it's almost the ultimate sort of encapsulation of that. But yeah, um, yeah the gameplay I really didn't get yeah until i realized that oh hang on like you say there is this sort of complexity to doing the laps and uh and building your combos and that kind of thing i, I really didn't get it so yeah um <laughs> i think we've all got our own like you say it's an experience isn't it we've all got we've all come at it from quite different directions i suppose it's quite a personal game it, the a life again sort of alludes to that that you are creating your own experience through through what what you are doing yeah and it, yeah, it is completely understandable. Again, you know, alluding to the fact that maybe they didn't. I know, you know, we we were perhaps in pre the era of hand holding tutorials for every game, like like we have now. But um, perhaps there could have been a little bit more <laughs> explanation as to. It was a little extreme. I think the manual itself trips itself up trying to explain the loop system and stuff. Right. It's like imagine the translators at like Sega yeah. UK, Sega Europe, trying to like explain this all. Like, um, how do we do this in like a thirty-two page manual? Yeah, that's a very good point as well. Um, we must talk about the bosses um, uh, because they are kind of crucial in that. Um, they play a massive role in the whole score attack thing. Uh, I mean, they are bosses that you will mostly beat on your first go, with the exception maybe of Jackal, which is I still find quite a pain. Who I still find quite a pain, I should say. There are... How many are there? I can't actually remember. Seven, seven including Wiseman. I yeah, think. okay. But to play to play the game uh, properly, this is what I remember CMVG, I think it was, actually shaming you into playing it properly, which is... Uh, I'm not. I don't think you have this initially, but you unlock the option to select your boss for a level uh, after you've completed the game. So you could, for instance, always pick the one that you're the best at. Uh, but uh, they they commented in the magazine that that is cheating, basically. You know, so because the whole point is that whatever uh, your time on the boss, uh, as quick as quickly as you can do it, is translated into a score multiplier, and you're aiming to get 2.0 score. So it's kind of uh, yeah, it can be very cruel because if you if you've got a decent score on your your main run of the four levels you can then have it pummeled by if you if you get into a bit of a sticky situation as i did with jackal the other night um where you run out of boost power and he's throwing his playing cards his homing playing cards at you um it can be horrific but then on the flip side if you get say uh realer uh, who is a sort of dark version of knights 
uh, you can actually kill Reela in about three or four seconds with multiple uh, chaining power loops. What I wanted to talk about was Gilwing, or uh, Gillywig, as my uh, then-girlfriend used to call him. Um, so there are two methods to kill uh, Gilwing. One is easy but slow, and one is very hard but very quick. Uh, is that the one-hit? The one-hit Paraloop. And that is the one trophy uh, I haven't got. Um, I I once did it in two back on the Saturn in the 90s. So I, I managed to do one massive loop and he still had like his head left. Uh, <laughs> but normally I just think, oh, I'm just going to do myself in trying to do this. So I just do the uh, push his face mesh- method of, of, of Gilwing. Have either of you ever managed the solo, the, the one Paraloop Gilwing kill? No. I've st- I've watched people do it. Yeah. I was playing with a D-pad, Leon. Oh, yeah, good point. Good <laughs> point. Yes. I would imagine it is actually impossible with, without the analog controller, thinking about it. Um, but yes, it is possible. It's obviously possible on the recent versions. Um, yeah, there's a trophy. There's an achievement for it. I think it's a relatively high... If you if you go to true achievements or true trophies, it's a relatively high uh, you know ratio you'll get for, for doing that one. But it's a great example of how, you know, uh, this game is full of sort of risk-reward things. Not, again, not all of the bosses uh, are quite the same. Um, Claws bounces from exploding mouse to exploding mouse, and you can get lucky and land near him early on, but generally it will take you a similar amount of time to uh, to get him. There are there are subtle techniques that can, can help you improve your time. The fish, Golpo, I had a really quick run with, with Golpo the other day, so this one is... Uh, for whatever reason, you have to. You're in a a very uh, scruffy looking now uh, sort of fish tank, and there's a giant fish uh, swimming on different levels. You have to grab on something to the outside and then fling yourself across the other side, and you've got to hit Golpo along the way. And it just so happened that I got three three in a row and ended up with a like a 1.9 score on on Golpo. But other times you can end up in a horrible loop of of misery on these bosses, and and that can be a bit distressing. A lot of games I don't like bosses, but I, I do I do like these bosses. I think they're they're quirky and fun. And uh, yeah, Jackal's the, the only one I really hate. Yeah, I mean I, I enjoy the the challenge. As you said, you can go in and you can be having a great run, and then you can have a disaster against the boss, and that's it. You got to start all over again because uh, your your run's ruined. You're going to end up with a low grade. And I think once you understand how the system works for the bosses that they are essentially the end multiplier to any score that you get for finishing it as fast as That's possible. That's it, yeah. And one, once you, you know, uh, one good run can leave you with that sort of that, that buzz, that, that real sort of adrenaline rush of a really, really good solid run. And one bad run can leave you so utterly devastated that you'll turn the console off. That That's something that I really enjoyed about the game. It's also a time where bosses, uh, say, like there were a lot of um, games at the time, a lot of bosses were just becoming bullet sponges, like, say, in uh, Quake or Doom. It was just the longer it took to shoot this thing, whereas this was sort of the classic bosses of sort of arcade times with patterns that you need to sort of recognise. Yeah, definitely so. Did you play Sonic Rush? No. I hadn't thought about this till You mentioned that um, there was a connection with um, with the staff. And the bosses in Sonic Rush are very much like the bosses in Knights. Oh, okay. Um, was that the set? Was that uh, the DS, DS set of games? Yeah. yeah. And there was Sonic Rush Adventure after that, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bosses on those are v- very much the Knights um, type of boss. If we ever do the uh, the Sonic series on Kane and Rince, we'll, <laughs> we've got about a million <laughs> games to play. One thing 
um, before we move on to Christmas nights that I'd almost completely forgotten about because it's not in the PS2 version or the HD version. Um, for good reason, it wasn't really very good uh, in my experience. Um, the two-player mode. Um, the original Saturn game had a two-player mode, uh, which was Knights versus Riala, and it, you had to try to paraloop each other on a split-screen game. Uh, I think I played it twice. It wasn't very good. It was one more time than I tried yeah. it. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a box ticking uh, exercise to have that, to have that in there possibly. Uh, but who knows? There might be somebody out there who, who thinks it's the best two-player game of all time. But I, <laughs> but I doubt it. Hopefully, two people out there that think it's the best. No, they, no, there was one who just made his, <laughs> made his friend, brother, mum play it with him for twenty years. Or does that um, thing where you're a kid, where you always win by just <laughs> leaving the second controller on the floor? Yeah, well, you say as a kid, but the amount of people who do get achievements that way these days. Uh, yeah, fully grown adults sitting there with one controller. So Christmas nights <laughs> arrived uh, in the same uh, winter, but only to certain people. It arrived in Japan. Now, I've seen one report say that it, this didn't come to the UK until the following year, but I don't think that's true. Uh, it didn't come, we, we got it for free on Sega Saturn magazine the following year, but it was released as a, uh, a sort of limited edition. It was, a, it was rather like the sort of things that Nintendo do nowadays, which is where if you buy two games of, from a list, you get this thing for free. Um, now, I remember not getting it and being very disappointed about that. I couldn't get it, so uh, I was absolutely overjoyed when it finally arrived on that cover disc uh, on Sega Saturn magazine the following year, I think it was. Um, and, yeah, it was a, a regular Christmas staple for many years. Hayes Redmist, correspondent from the forum, says, All I can do at this point is to tell of the sheer joy the Christmas night's disc brought when I got it on the front of a magazine back in the day and put it in my Saturn. I'm not sure any other game has captured the seasonal spirit as well as that did. And for free, too. Cue lots of clock adjustments down the line for the old Saturn. Miss that console and this game. So, uh, yes, not only was it Christmas nights in the month of December, the rest of the year it acted as a sort of one-level demo, um, but there were also little Easter eggs uh, relating to April Fool's Day. I think if you played it on April Fool's Day, you played as Reela. Yeah. Uh, and there were a few other uh, bits and bobs. New Halloween. Halloween, New Year's, like yeah. Uh, but the main feature was, of course, the the advent calendar aspect of it, which was uh, to play uh, the stage of Frozen Bell, all Christmasified with lights and uh, uh, garlands and and snowflakes and uh, Santa Claus on Christmas Day, to a very very jaunty version of Jingle Bells, not remixed by uh, A Life in this case. Um, and after each run and uh, it was Gilwing, wasn't it? it? Was the boss uh, with it with a Christmas hat on, uh, with a remix tune? Uh, you would get to play one of those card matching games and unlock stuff. The stuff included uh, pic- high res scans of merchandise from Japan, just to make us very very jealous. Uh, and uh, things like the A Life viewer uh, and famously Sonic into Dreams, which was uh, an on foot stage to play a Sonic, which was Sonic's first three D polygon appearance, I think. Uh, and his boss was uh, the amazing Puffy, but re-skinned as Dr. Robotnik. Uh, so just, yeah, just uh, a wonderful thing. Um, and unfortunately, although Christmas Nights itself is unlockable in the uh, PS2 and downloadable versions, uh, it does not feature all the unlockables and it doesn't feature the same card matching game. You You simply go into Christmas Nights mode. But what is nice is if you load up 
the game at all at Christmas, uh, it it does switch to Christmas Night's title screen with Joy to the World and stuff like that. So it's not a total loss, uh, but it does slightly make me regret getting rid of my uh, Saturn version of Christmas Night's. Did either of Likewise. you get? Yeah, yeah. Did you get this? Um, well, did you get this after you fell for Nights or? I I bought the magazine. When I didn't own a Saturn, oh, right. um, yeah. but then gave the mag. disc to someone who did own a Saturn, so then had to buy it a few years later at a silly price. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, not silly. It was about ten or twelve quid, but um, yeah, still not quite getting it on free on the front of a magazine. But um, again, not having the battery meant that I had to sort of I was basically playing the lottery with the unlocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every time I played, so yeah, I didn't quite get the Christmas nights experience. Um, it's a shame. It's a real shame. But um, yeah, yeah. I might uh, actually seeing as um this. Sorry, we're recording a few days before Christmas. We, am I ruining things by saying that? Um, but yeah, actually, I'm going to go and unlock it in HD thingy, even though it's not quite the same. It's or still maybe, um, very Christmassy. Uh, yeah. It still has the intro. One thing I noticed about the intro, it has uh, it's as is as so often the case. Rather than full CG with uh, with this sort of expansion, they've gone for a 2D animated, a barely animated intro. But it's very it's very sweet. Again, it's quite sugary and saccharine, but it is very Christmassy. Weird thing was the. Um, the original uh, Sega Saturn magazine disc version had an American uh, had the American voiceover uh, for the story, and this woman who who told the Christmas story of 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 Knights and uh, and Clarice and Elliot trying to get the star on top of the tree, she, she sounded like she was in some sort of drug haze. She was really sort of soporific and kind of sounded like she was away with the fairies, which kind of added something. Whereas the uh, the version that you unlock now certainly in i don't know if it's region based but it's a, it's a it's an english lady it's a different voiceover same words uh but a, a much more you know sounds more like a, a you know an old episode of jack and Ori or something don't know i don't know what the story is there carl did you uh, did you christmas nights have you christmas nights i've played it and i actually played it in a game store um, it would have been the local chip store in redcar that always oh, yeah. seemed to have a, a sega saturn on display i bought this after because I got it in January and the magazine was the month prior at the end of 97 and I bought my Saturn at the start of 98 I actually didn't think about picking up the magazine um, and like you I, I do remember the game being available before that magazine in the UK I always remember it being sort of a limited edition thing that, that it wasn't overly common until that magazine released but I do remember it being available in the UK. You had to either send off for it or buy it, or yeah. some stores had it, I think, and you, if you bought two of the games in a store, you could maybe pick it up, but yeah, something. And and that would be it, and that, that's how I actually played it uh, in a store, and it, it wasn't even the Christmas that it came out, it was actually the year after. So I got it in 98, yeah. so it must have been Christmas 98 that I played it, so I'm assuming the store actually got it back out for that specific reason, which, when you think about it, it's kind of sweet, I didn't think about that at the time, but I I never really got to experience all that Christmas nights had, uh, because I booted it up and I was like, well, I've played this level, it's just Christmassy. Ah, uh, uh, there's you know, more to it than that. Uh, and there was, the, obviously, reading up on it so much later, and I always did wonder why it was so revered, because I always thought it was sort of, a, sort of ignorance in a way that it was a, an extended demo of the, of the game. And it is obviously so much more than that because there's so much love and, and care has gone with all the little Easter eggs and stuff. Uh, I, I wish I'd had more time with it back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember um, people saying on games forums as recently as 
you know, maybe the mid 2000s, you know, you know, just booting up my, you know, my Saturn for the annual playthrough of Christmas nights. And I'm sure I'm sure some people are still doing it. And yeah, uh, at least at least they didn't not include it uh, in the in the downloadable version. But it's just a shame they didn't go the, the whole hog. It's a very complete experience, considering it is like um, I hate like I know you say it's not a demo, but it I think it was sort of meant for those purposes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. It was the same level. It's a promo yeah. item. Yeah. 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 Definitely. But it's. It feels like a, a game within itself. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of almost stands alone, like with the amount of content that's there to unlock. It's like a standalone expansion. It's kind of strange because you can't really describe specifically what that item was, because in some ways, Christmas Nights is actually remembered as much, if not more, than the standard Nights experience because it's sort of timed specifically at a, a certain point. And as Leon mentioned, there are stories of people just getting out their version of Christmas Nights at Christmas because that's the time that you play that game, whereas Nights doesn't really have that. So when I read about people playing Nights now, the, the, the Saturn version, that is, it's always Christmas Nights that they seem to play. Also, only being the, uh, the short amount of content levels-wise, like just a level and a boss, I suppose it... Yeah, adds to the score attack nature absolutely yeah and and as i say one of the unlockables is link attack which actually serves perhaps to uh, illustrate the game play better than anything in the whole of the original nights in the sense that it basically says right you've got an infinite amount of time to get the biggest link possible so you can you can just fly around and around try try to get the highest link and then you go oh wait a minute if i do that in the game then i'll get ridiculous scores yeah were there any other examples um, previous to this? I mean, we we get it now with uh, games where you load it up on Christmas and they'll have like Santa hats on or something. Well, um, yeah. Were there any any things before this? Not, me- I know not many. To the main no, game, I mean no. I don't remember people. Obviously, uh, most of the consoles prior to this didn't have uh, internal clocks. Even um, yeah, the PlayStation One didn't have a clock, did it? Uh, I don't think. So wow, wow. Okay. I don't think it did. Cool. No, I think that was a feature that the Saturn had, yeah. and obviously it continued yeah. through to the Dreamcast, where yeah. it was probably showcased more on the Dreamcast. It was a sort of Sega thing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, maybe Sonic Adventure is the next time that it was done because I think that's mm. got Christmas uh, unlockables, hasn't it? Yeah, certain certain games did. Uh, you, I mean, the main Nights game had the flower clock, which tells the right time, and that still works on uh, on the downloadable versions as well. Um, there may have been other examples, examples, but it was certainly. Uh, I remember thinking, this is so cool. Wouldn't that be a great phone? Uh, sorry, a watch. A flower. Like the nice flower, flower clock. <laughs> yeah. Like. And so uh, things went quiet on the Knights front for a while. Um, they started work on a sequel called Air Knights, uh, which I vaguely remember hearing something about at the time. The name rings the vaguest of bells that maybe it was mentioned in a magazine somewhere, uh, but it was cancelled fairly early on. Interestingly, they were going for a motion control setup, uh, which is uh, something that I assume came to the Wii version later on. I thought it more relates to um, another game we're going to talk about, uh, Sega Superstars. Um, I oh, yeah. think there was an Air Knights link there with that the makes um, sense. iToy somewhere. That makes sense. Um, the motion sensing tech apparently uh, was uh, incorporated in Samadei Amigo, obviously, with its groovy maracas. Um, but yes, Air Knights was uh, was doomed, ultimately. 
Uh, Knights has had cameos in a number of games since Sonic Adventure. There was the pinball table. Uh, Knights pops up in uh, ill-fated Mario Party clone Sonic Shuffle on the Dreamcast. Uh, there's a Knights table in Sonic Pinball Party on the GBA, I think that is. Uh, Sonic Riders, is Knights a playable character in that? I've never played Sonic Riders. Yeah, there's some um, really interesting Knights unlockables in. I, I'm not sure if it's Sonic Riders or what was... Uh, is it Sonic Riders 2? There was, sure, I believe but, um, there might have been a sequel, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there is, which has got um, a Knights unlockable stage. Right, okay. Um, it reminds me a lot of, you know, the uh, Knights stage in um, Sega, Sonic and Sega All-Stars Transport? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah, it's a lot like that, um, where it takes you through sort of you go through these sort of different areas of nights, like there'll be like a boss section yeah. and then a little forest section and that kind of thing. Was so that game fun? It's worth a look. Was it fun? Yeah, I remember the reviews being pr- pretty um, terrible. Yeah, I think I only ever played the demo of it. Um, yeah, it didn't. <laughs> Even as a Sega fan, yeah, I think Sonic Riders is just that step too far. So yes, then came uh, iToy toy game. Uh, Sega Superstars, which is one of the, I think one of only two iToy games I, I owned along with iToy Play. Um, and I, and it was purely, you know, I was lured in by the, 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 the Sega IP, uh, yeah, stuff. Um, I don't remember it being an enormous amount of fun overall, but it was a novelty for a while. Um, and iToy was astonishing when it first launched yeah, like, um, yeah. The, the Wii before the Wii almost like did you ever take it to like a Christmas party well we had we had various uh, you know sessions of it around here with people drinking and I remember remember knocking over some uh, sparkling wine playing iToy Play 2 and stuff like that yeah if only they'd made it Christmas nights that would have worked sort of doubly well wouldn't it yeah um Yes, he cropped up as a Knights as a very very last minute addition to the first Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing game. Um, according to Sumo, he was literally wedged in uh, far later than they should have been wedging things into the game, uh, down to fan demand. Uh, turned up again, as you say, in uh, the sequel to that in 2012, and he then had his own stage. And you can even play as a Nightopian, I think, in uh, in Transformed. Uh, but prior to that was the actual uh, sequel, which uh, I have never played, and I very deliberately avoided playing it because of my love for the original. Uh, so 2007 Night's Journey of Dreams. I'm pretty sure I remember looking forward to this and thinking that uh, I knew that, you know, some of the core team were working on it. So, you know, hi, you know, higher resolution graphics and and uh, and all that. It, it was appealing, but I think I think I just the reviews came out before the game as they did and uh and they were so lukewarm and i kept thinking oh maybe maybe the reviewers just haven't got it maybe they're all people who didn't play knights or or but some of them patently did understand and love the original knights and were still hugely disappointed by this uh this sequel so um have either of you played knight's journey of dreams on the wii yes um i I was almost in the same boat as yourself, where the the reviews didn't make me want to buy it. But then I, it was like, when you see something around a tenner, and um, and you've got a Wii, and there's um, all the shovelware, you think, well, I'll give that a go. And it's almost the antithesis to the original. It starts with like a, between a five and ten minute cutscene, um, and then you um, you know what they've done with the gameplay, where uh, no, it, not only really. a third, only a third of the each level is kind of your classic Knights gameplay. Otherwise, there's sort of other objectives oh, that yes. draw you away from what you actually want to play it for. Um, 
yeah, didn't really get on with it. <laughs> um, but worth noting that the uh, the game's narrated by an owl, uh, who's played by the guy who plays um, Francis Morgan in Deadly Premonition. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Good knowledge. Oh, Francis, uh, sorry, is that his name? Uh, uh, York. York Morgan. Uh, Francis, Francis York. Hmm. Yeah, Francis York Morgan. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I avoided that. Carl, you managed to avoid it, or did you uh, dive in? It was a game I was really looking forward to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was, you know, I thought with the Wiimote, it could add that element of freedom that would you know, be wonderful to play. And then the reviews came out and it was made very clear that this wasn't Knights as we knew it. Um, And I immediately sort of knocked that off the to-buy list. And I thought, maybe if it's cheap, I'll buy it in the future. No, I ignored that as well. Uh, And I think probably the better for it. So I I didn't buy it, especially as... I still had access to my Sega Saturn at the time. I'd actually sold it after this point. And it was like, I would rather play the original the way it was meant to be than this sort of fake representation as as was sort of portrayed in the reviews and as Dan mentioned with the objective-based thing. That The one thing that I really enjoyed about Knights was that sense of freedom. And if that was taken away from me, I thought I'd rather not play it. And hopefully maybe one day we'll get another version. And obviously since we've had the the arcade releases on the on the 360 and the PS3. So I've never really felt that urge to see no. what it was all about. No, me neither. Uh, so, well, you know, we could do one a, a show on it one day, but I suspect <laughs> it's, it's worth noting that some of the fans uh, in the Knights community prefer it to the original. Okay. Um, there does... Like, not even to, like it's to quite an extent. It really sort of not irked me, but um, yeah, threw me off last week when That's there's genuine sort of polls and debates as to which is the better game. Okay, I mean Takashi Azuka worked on it. It's not like it was one of those where it was just handed over to you know some completely random other team. But it I is think USA it, developed though, isn't it? It I is think? USA yeah. though. Yeah. So which yeah rings alarm bells. But you know respect to those people who love it, and um, yeah maybe one day I will. Check it out. Have you played the GBA um, sort of mini game of Knights? No. Um, I think it you had it was from Fantasy Star Online on the GameCube, maybe. Um, but you mm-hmm. can, as it was only a free mini game, I uh, hands up, I downloaded it and emulated it. Um, mm. It's on the Game Boy Advance. It's um, just a simple two D loop attack type mode. Um, or just yeah, simple score attack mode. Um, but it's worth a look just to see how the game can work in two dimensions. Right. Uh, yeah, and most recently, uh, it's uh, Sonic Lost World downloadable content, um, which I didn't know about until uh, preparing for this podcast. Uh, it's a whole level for the not hugely well received Sonic Lost World, um, which is entirely themed around uh, knights and stuff. Um, it's got uh, cameos from most of the bosses, but actually the gameplay looks more like uh, Sonic Adventure meets Super Mario Galaxy, but not as good as either, probably. Um, but I haven't played it, but there it is. It's out there. I don't know how much it costs. Has anyone bought Sonic Lost World? I don't know. I haven't got a Wii U, so no. Well, I do, but it, yeah. It's another Sonic game <laughs> yeah. that's uh, not at the top of my wish list. Um, yeah, I think one of the, I mean, yes, let's not get onto Sonic because it is a very huge and other topic. Although let's, it's worth mentioning that, um, have you heard of Sonic Robo Blast 2? 
I don't think it's I a have. it's a fan game, but they've uh, there's a whole night mode built into that. Um, where mm. um, yeah, it's a whole it's basically a whole extra sort of mini game within the game. It's a it's a three D fan made game, but they've built in a yeah a night's mode in that. So it's worth a little look if anyone wants something free that is fan made by people that are huge fans of knights. Brilliant, great knowledge. Uh, we must hear from the community again, uh, com slash forum, or you can email podcast at canarince.com. Uh, we have just two posts, uh, which is, you know, perhaps one more than I was expecting, um, both from fans, as you might have predicted, but I think that's okay. We prefer to celebrate. And here we have Mike Leddy, who is definitely celebratory about knights. He says, I've spent days trying to summarize just what I love about knights into dreams. Is it the visuals, the purest colours and saccharine splendour of the 32-bit era juxtaposed with the heaviest boss explosion effects to grace the small screen? That music that weaves so eloquently between cheesiness and beauty, beauty effortlessly? I'm not embarrassed that this is some of my iPod's longest-lasting library content. The controls, always tactile enough to follow the route to the perfect links, but with enough give to deviate that little bit while still pulling off stunning links or apologetically doubling up to catch that crucially important lost gem. When you do just take a small detour, you'll find some of the best exploration to be found in games. The key routes for the best links may be well designed, but somewhere off the beaten track there's still heaps of polish, with no area free of a little sprinkle of the magic that hits you from the second you load the game up. The core game might not be the most replayed in history, but learning the courses is detrimental to enjoying the blizzard of special effects thrown at you for making the right moves. The transparency effects might be scoffed at on a technical level, but somehow Sonic Team really takes every technical hurdle and polishes it to feel so at home that it can't be touched. It's not fair to call this the most optimised game to my expectations. There are a few niggles. I'm not a fan of the times when the game shifts perspective, including the awkward intro to each and every level that's sadly a necessity to getting those high scores. These sections just stick out and feel a little less polished than the side-on sections. The music can also falter a little for me at boss battles. Of course, these issues can only be seen because of the quality across the board. The most replayed game in my history may not be Nights, but Christmas Nights is a totally different story. I've never been so engrossed in what could ultimately be called a demo. The finest demo of all time. As a standalone game, its, its festive direction seems so in tandem with its polish and limitless appeal. So much content seemed tailor-made towards this release, and for its price it might well be the best bargain I've yet to see. Sonic Into Dreams was one of the many little features that any other developer wouldn't have had the effort to try. It wasn't exactly great, but everything about this package shows that Sega really had it. The biggest reason I, I respect Knights as a classic game is without question how it managed to stand in the face of such huge landmark releases in video game history as Super Mario 64 and Quake and somehow come up the other side, not only as a masterpiece, but a complete oxymoron, feeling like a death march for Sonic Team despite seemingly being given absolute free reign to make exactly what they wanted. It may not have paid off for Sega, but the hobby as a whole will always remember this investment, and though I may never have bought a Sega Saturn, it's easy to tell why I picked up a Dreamcast at launch. Of all the games released in 1996, this is the one that still feels right in 2014. It's a joy to play, and on the newer systems, an inexpensive yet essential purchase, not to mention my favourite Christmas game of all time. Thanks, Mike. And he was uh, writing that right up until the last minute because he felt that he his words couldn't express his love for the game adequately enough, which is... It's pretty enthusiastic, yeah. so he's yes. doing quite a good job. And also... Slightly more brief, but uh, similarly enthusiastic. Sinclair Gregstrom says, Nights into Dreams holds some of my most cherished gaming memories. 
a gift from my mum at Christmas 96 at the age of 13, with a 3D controller, of course. I instantly fell in love with its gloriously vibrant visuals and music and was hooked on the unique free-flowing gameplay. I whizzed through all the levels of both Elliot and Clarice within a day, but despite this initial brevity, the Knight's Disc was rarely far from my Saturn in the following days, weeks and months. Striving for the top rank in every stage, always finding new ways to link ever larger combos became a joyous addiction. And even after rehearsing and nailing each and every level and boss to the best of my ability, I still came back for the pure fun and satisfaction of flying through the game just one more time. The feeling of freedom, even when really you're stuck to fairly tight rails, combined with a unique sense of speed and fluidity of movement, to this day makes Knights one of the most fulfilling experiences in gaming. Aside from the game's mechanics and artistic merits, I also fell in love with something a little less quantifiable. Knights has a sense of wonder and innocence that I've rarely experienced in any medium. It's a unique concept, lovingly brought to life by a team at the top of their game and being given total creative freedom. Even down to the endearingly out-of-tune end credits song, there is a disarming sweetness to the whole experience that never failed to make me smile. And even while writing this, I can't help but get that warm, fuzzy feeling all over again. Knights is a special game, one that would not be made today, I'm sure. If you haven't played it, please do. And if you can, play it on a Saturn with a 3D controller plugged into a 4-3 TV. There is nothing quite like it. Thanks for those. Uh, Sinclair, you pretty much echoed my exact feelings. Uh, so it saved me saying a lot in the summary, which is good because we're running quite long. Three word reviews uh, at Kane and Rince on Twitter. Start with Dan. They Were Our Gods says, a timeless classic. Badia Alamir said, Majesty Through Constraints. Ashley Day, of Nintendo no less, says, a dream delight. And Gary Casey says, wonderful Sega magic. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Right, so then to relatively swiftly summarise, start with Carl. Knights is perhaps one of the most interesting games that I could say I've ever played in my life because... As I mentioned several times through this podcast, I can't quite put my finger on exactly what this game is, what it does, or any of the specifics. And I think that just adds to, to the majesty of the title overall. It's you, you can go back to it now, well after a decade after its release, and it still feels completely unique. And there's not many games I could say that about. Uh, uh, certainly not ones that feel unique and are still fun to play at least. There's so much depth to the game that aren't really showcased or given to the player or informed in any way at all. And perhaps the best way to play it now would be to be checking online to see the specifics of what you do to really get going. And with the access you've got to the game through the PS3 and the Xbox 360, people really don't have a reason to play it unless you don't own one of those systems, of course. But you know, given how affordable the title is and how affordable those systems are those that do really probably should be checking it out. And for a game that I played in 1998, which is regarded by many, myself included, maybe the greatest year in gaming, this is one of, if not the most memorable game, not necessarily my favourite, but certainly the most memorable game that I played in that year. And that is perhaps the biggest compliment I could actually pay towards its design. Terrific. Uh, yes, so as I say, I just really want to echo what Sinclair Gregstrom st- said. Um, hugely cherished memories, even though I was not a child when I first got my uh, copy. I was twice uh, Sinclair's age at that point, uh, 26. It made me feel like one. Uh, it's one of those games. And um, as I say, the fact that 
I can still remember the particular phone call talking about this game. And it was actually not a watershed moment, because as I say, I was already completely in love with video gaming as a, as a medium, as a pastime. But it was, there was something about Nights that really gave me, uh, you know, just just made me want to kind of celebrate the whole medium more than more than anything else just the, that marriage of interactivity and audiovisual side and creativity that that nothing else nothing nothing else does it nothing else has that uh, has all those things in 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 the same way um as i say to be critical in, in with a modern eye um there are some sections of some of the levels that i don't enjoy as much as the core side on free, uh, freewheeling link score attack gameplay which for me is the the absolute the the hub of why this game is still so much fun to play uh you know, yeah 18 years 18 years on from 1996 and uh as much as those those little sections are occasionally mildly irksome, or you can occasionally get frustrated with a boss, I still uh, I still get that 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 buzz every time I boot up nights. It's you know not something I boot up every week. Maybe you know maybe every few months, once a year even, um, but certainly a good one to load up at Christmas. Um, but any time really. To people who haven't played it, uh, I can totally understand that it might be an effort because it does take some practice some understanding and it might be that you're just not into score attacking games you've got no interest in being on leaderboards or anything like that and that's fine that's absolutely fine um but if you've ever been interested to try it out the downloadable versions really are uh while not perfect they really are very good they're not in the way that some re-releases are you know sort of very disappointing it's not like that it's it's a really nice version the pc version is uh is only six pounds on Steam, and often to be found for uh, for half that. So, uh, and obviously, I would imagine most PCs would run it, and that's the, probably the highest resolution and highest frame rate version you can buy. So, check it out. I love it. And let's conclude with Dan. Um, I think Nights into Dreams is a game that you can complete and yet only see ten percent of. Um, and I think that's kind of why we've um, we've all said that it's kind of an enigmatic game. But um, I think that's why I like it. It's um, a bit like one of those albums that you can dip into and find and hear new things every time you hear it. Like it gels. Um, uh, like I say, I found it quite incongruous at first. The uh, the way it looks, the Sega Saccharin uh, Blue Sky look with a, a gameplay that I didn't quite understand. But um, I like that's kind of the ballsy, gutsy Sega. I think it's, this is where they hit the sweet spot. Um, Almost like Carl says, it's not one of my favourite games. There are missteps, like the sections that you say that don't quite fit with the rest of it. Maybe that's attempts to um, emulate almost, you know, the Nintendo or uh, with Mario 64, where they throw in a gameplay idea and then only use it the once and then it's gone. Maybe it was kind of a, trying to do that, like show a versatility of sorts. And it's not really needed, but um, it's the it's almost the ultimate Sega game. It it just encapsulates everything that I think of that company. You know, it's um, it's got depth. It's got, like I say, guts. And yeah, it still it looks like this beautiful, sweet Disney dream. So, yeah. Um, echoing what you said, if you haven't tried it, at least give it a look, because uh, especially at Christmas, give it a go. It's um, yeah, it's a 
it's a really lovely game. Thanks, Dan. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, Izuka's, uh, this is slightly twee, but I thought actually very sweet. Uh, he said the thing he likes the most about Knights is the fact that it's the only video game character that you can really meet. Uh, because if you dream about Knights, you're actually meeting him because that's where he exists, which I think is so it's so twee, but it's also sort of sort of sweet. I sort of like that. It's also quite sinister as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, mean, I do remember some people saying at the time that they thought Knight's design was a little bit creepy, which I actually quite like about him. He's, he's not necessarily, he doesn't look necessarily just like a like a hero. He's There's something slightly... That yeah, cheeky glint in the eye. Yeah, and he pulls that weird face in the intro, which never really explained. But... Like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you got anything you want to uh, promote, Dan, from your from your world of Dan Clark um, things? Yeah, um, look up my. I've um, I'm started doing poetry, so uh, Google or look up the Amish Gamer on YouTube. That's all one word on YouTube, which um, is is an old thing. I was going to do at one point and then didn't, but it's still my YouTube name. Um, right. I've done a poem recently and it's on there. I'm going to put some more stuff up. Um, yeah, give it a listen. It's kind of probably different to what <laughs> you've heard of me before, but um, ranty anti-establishment scattergun patter, basically. Excellent. We like a bit of that. I'm sure our discerning audience will be up for some uh, left-wing agitation. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Dan. We'll have you on again as soon as we can think of an appropriate topic, of course. Uh, And yes, it just remains for me to uh, Leon Cox to thank Carl and Dan and to tell you that next time after our Christmas break in issue 159, we conclude Team Silent's original trilogy with 2003's Silent Hill 3. Until then... Dream, dream. <laughs>